Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good to see you guys. Man, what an awesome time together. Wasn't that a great time of worship? Great time of singing? You know, I was thinking about this. We were singing uh, Come Let Us Adore Him. What an awesome song. And everybody knows it, right? Because it's a Christmas carol. So I was listening to all of you sing. And you notice, I was thinking something really interesting. When you hear a group of people singing with one voice, it never sounds bad. Have you ever heard a bad sounding crowd singing? Because there's enough people that can carry a tune in a bucket, right? In the group. Now, I know some of you sound like dying camels when you sing. I know this is true. Don't raise your hand, you know, but uh, I'm teasing. But well, no, that, that's true. But, but when we sing together, it never sounds bad. And there's something beautiful about the unity of what it means to be part of the church, not just a church, a local church, but the church of Christ to be part of Jesus' church. When we come together, you don't see the imperfections and the blemishes because when we come together and we sing with one voice, it blends together, doesn't it? And it's really beautiful to see the expression. And I just, I just wanted to say, good job, you guys. You sounded so beautiful. Give yourself a pat on the back. So glad you're here today. Yeah, so good to see all of you. I'm, I mean, I'm 100% biased, but I just think this is the best looking, most holy, most awesome, spotless, stainless, incredible group of people ever gathered on a Sunday. You guys are amazing. So good to be here today. Well, today we're continuing in our series called God Is, and we're talking about who God is and his revelation of himself in scripture and just kind of focusing in on certain words. And today I want to talk about the fact that God is worthy. And we sang that song, For You Alone Are Worthy. And the word worthy just very simply means full of worth, full of value. And I believe with all of, uh, all of my heart, that God is worthy. He's full of worth. He's full of valuable. In fact, he's not just valuable amongst other valuable things, but he's the essential pursuit of life, the thing worth giving everything for. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had anything in life that you were willing to just give everything else for? Like one thing you were just all in 100%, that was the thing. Anybody? Like you were just going all in. Well, I remember for me as a 16-year-old boy, it was Katie. Yeah, it was Katie. I wanted to spend hours with Katie. Man, I would have given anything for Katie. Uh, I actually, I wanted to put my hands on Katie. I wanted to spend time. Hold on a second. Wait a second. Get your minds out of the gutter. Katie's not a girl. Katie's a keyboard. Katie is a keyboard. Katie was Korg Triton. Is this thing on? No, it's off. I can't play for you guys today. I played for the first crowd, but sorry, no piano. They killed all our fun, man. The Grinch came in and killed our fun. No, I'm kidding. Um, but Katie, uh, Katie was Korg Triton. Korg is a keyboard brand and Korg Triton. So KT, Katie. So that's who I wanted to spend my time with. So I was a 16-year-old boy. And unlike most 16-year-old boys who were trying to buy cars, uh, maybe trying to get an actual girlfriend, I w knew I wasn't, had no chance there. So I was actually going for the keyboard. Um, or maybe trying to pay for something silly like college. I don't know. But for me, I'd saved up all my money and there was this, this Korg Triton, Katie. I would go to Guitar Center and this is before you could go to like Amazon and just look at anything you want. I mean, I had, you had to go to the store, young people. This is amazing. It's like back in the day when I was your age, we were buck naked uphill both ways to school. Went to, you know, Guitar Center and I'd like, you know, go into the back room and look, you know, look at this Korg Triton 88 keys. Man, that thing weighed like as much as a car. I was in a band at the time and we'd pack this thing up in its case and it was like bass amps, guitar amps, drums, everything. But my keyboard weighed more than it all. It needed like its own trailer just to pack this thing. I mean, it was very heavy, 88 keys. It had all kinds of sounds, sequencers, 
all kinds of bells and whistles. I mean, I think it made coffee sometimes. It was an amazing instrument. And I really wanted this thing. And I'd been saving up, saving up, saving up. And I remember going to the bank this one day and I had about $2,000 saved up and my mom was going to loan me the rest. And it was safe for her to do that because she's Sicilian. And if you take a loan from a Sicilian, you're going to pay it back. <laughs> you pay it back one way or another, right? You pay it back with cash or you sleeping with the fishes. Forget about it. So you are going to pay it back. So anyways, I borrowed money from my mom and I went to the bank and I pulled out $2,000 in cash. You ever held $2,100 bills in your hand? Making it rain. You know, I was so nervous that I was going to get robbed. I'm like walking from the bank, like looking around, like who's going to rob a pimply 16 year old kid? Nobody thinks they have any money, but I did. I was loaded with $2,100 bills in an envelope. Just real quick. Why do banks give you wads of cash in like a paper white envelope? I feel really ripped off. Like I think they should give you a pirate chest, right? <laughs> so like when you come out of the bank, you know, you walk out of Bank of America and you're like, <laughs> It's gold doubloons, you know, chocolate gold doubloons, but they're gold doubloons. I mean, that would be cool. Or like a money clip made of ivory or something, but no, it's, it's white envelope. But I had all these 20s and borrowing money from my mom and I go into Guitar Center, I bring my cash and, you know, she finishes paying it off. It was like $3,300 for this keyboard. It was everything I had. It was the most money I'd ever held, seen, thought of. And I leave Guitar Center with this keyboard and I get it home to my room and I set it up and I start playing and it was amazing, this magical moment when I got what I really wanted, what I was after, this thing that I'd kind of gone all in for. And never once in this whole process did I think not worth it. I, I, even the full expense of everything that I had and having to go you know, serve my mom in indentured servanthood for you know, the next 10 years or whatever, I'm still paying her off. You know, it's crazy. No, I'm kidding. But the just going all in for something and acquiring something like that, it's a picture of what, what God desires from us, that we would see the supreme value and worth of who he is and a relationship with him. God is worthy. He's full of valuable, the most uh, perfect thing that we could pursue in life. And it's interesting because if you go into the scripture, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, kind of the reality of when God shows up on the scene, what's it like, the kingdom of God? We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Father, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. A kingdom just means it's a domain of a king, right? So like when you walk down to uh, the corner of river and forget the road there, but there's Burger King. I mean, that's the domain, right? Where the king is on the throne. They got 10 nuggets for a dollar right now. I mean, it's a good, it's pretty amazing, but I'm just having fun, you guys. It's okay. You're like, we're McDonald's people. We're offended. We're Carl's Jr. We're upgraded. Okay, well, anyways. So the kingdom, a kingdom is where a king sits on a throne. It's the domain of a king. And the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is where God rules and where he reigns and where he gets his way and where, where when he speaks, there's obedience and, and things take place and, and things that he doesn't want to happen don't happen. And what he does want to happen does happen. And Jesus invited people to enter into God's kingdom when he came 2,000 years ago. You know, Jesus wasn't walking around asking people to give their life to Jesus, just in case you were wondering, would that be weird? Give your life to me, you know? What does that mean? Well, you pray this prayer and you pray to me and, you know, anyways, it's fun for those of you that enjoy the irony of this. But Jesus is inviting people into the kingdom of God to, to come uh, into a relationship with God, to come into a life with God. And so Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. If you read through the New Testament, you'll hear him, all, you'll see he's always talking about this. And in Matthew 13, he gives us an insight and a picture into the worth of God 
And it's connected with this idea of the kingdom of God. He says in Matthew 13, he just tells two really quick stories. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. That's the first one. The second one is this. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. He sold everything he owned and bought it. Father, I pray that today you'd open our eyes and give us ears to hear and a heart to understand what you want to speak to us, Lord. I pray, God, that you would impact us in a powerful way, that Lord, we would see your true worth and value, even catch a glimpse of you and be ready to pursue you relentlessly with all that we are. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that you are the essential pursuit of life, that you are worthy, that you are full of value. God, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears today. We give you this time in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus, as he talks about the kingdom of God, what he's really comparing it to and saying this is what God's kingdom is like is is something that when you discover, when you get a glimpse, when you get a picture of it, that you go all in. There's something about God that you see all throughout the Bible that he's never never wanting us to hedge our bet and say, well, I'm going to kind of like, you know, take a step forward and then one back. Like, There's a point at which when you see God, when God reveals himself to you, when you come to know Christ, that there's a call, a pull, that he wants you to step over the line and go all in. And Jesus says, this is actually how the kingdom of God works. So everybody's invited into the kingdom of God, but it doesn't work like, well, I'm you know, kingdom of God, do you have a payment plan? Because I mean, really, I mean, I could do the full thing, but I mean, I don't, but I mean, I could, but I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'd rather if I could just like um, $94 a month and then in like 17 years, I'll, I'll pay off the kingdom of God entrance plan. Like that's not how it works. There's no payment plan. The payment plan is you're in or you're out. It's totally free, but it costs you everything. God isn't wanting anything other than every single thing about your entire being in existence. That's all. I mean, it's a very, it's simple to understand. It's hard to do. And you see this imagery all wrapped around in the New Testament. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's fully accessible to you, your sin and your separation from God and all of this. God will take care of that, but but you have to give him everything and come into his kingdom and you can't be straddling the line. And I know people are wanting to do those cute hipster pictures where they're like, California, Oregon, you can't do that with the kingdom of God, right? There's like Canadian Mounties come along the border and ram you with their reindeer. I don't know what happens, but you can't stand on the border. You've got to come in or you're out. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And what I see wrapped up here is this idea of of living a life of worship. So the word worship, it doesn't just mean that we stand on a stage and we sing songs on Sundays. That's an aspect of worship. Worship means worth-ship. What do you ascribe the most value to and then aim your life at it? And so when we talk about living a life of worship, it doesn't mean just singing songs on Sunday. That's part of it. But it means living your entire life for the glory of God. Living your life, letting God's light and love shine upon you and shining it back out into the world and shining it back at him and living a life of gratitude and living a life towards God as you pursue him, as you see his worth is what a life of worship looks like. And so when Jesus talks about this in these stories, he says, this is how the kingdom of God works. This is how it operates. He's talking about worship, about pursuing God and living a life of worship. And so I want to give you a couple of thoughts out of these two stories today, and then we'll go to wherever we want to go, Burger King or your fast food restaurant of choice. People might even be able to afford going to a nicer restaurant. I don't know, but 
when you have three kids that eat a lot, this Burger King's great. And we can give them nuggets. Come on. Amen. You just feed them up. Matthew 13, when, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about treasure. He's talking about pearls. And at this time in the Roman Empire in first century, a pearl is like the most valuable you know, piece of jewelry, the most valuable commodity. It's just so valuable. And Jesus is describing people that are on a search or on a journey who are looking. Uh, this, he says in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. I think everybody in life is really on a journey, on a search for something. But here's my first thought about this as we talk about God is worthy and living a life of worship is that when you find the treasure, stop the search. When you find the pearl, get the pearl. Do what it takes. When you find the treasure, it's time to stop the search. Now, it's fascinating to me because we live in a culture that loves questions and doesn't like answers. Come on, somebody. I'm on, man, you know, I'm going through this stuff. This is what's happened to me. People need to understand me. This is my journey, my da 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 Well, actually, you know, if, if, if you, um, you know, didn't um, spend all your money before the end of the month, you, you would actually have enough. Hang on, hang on, man, you're judging me. Well, no, I mean, it's just mathematics. I'm sorry if, you know, Isaac Newton is maybe mad at you because he, he did this mathematics stuff, but it's not me, right? I mean, we love questions. We, we don't like answers. I mean, you think about it, if you go on Ellen DeGeneres or, or Oprah or one of the, the daytime shows and, and you get up and you're like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm on a search. I want a journey. I'm, I'm just a person in progress. Like I'm, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm, I'm on a journey. People are like, wow, that's so deep. It's amazing. What you're saying is I don't know anything yet. <laughs> hey, everyone, I don't know anything. That guy's deep. Hey, everybody, I'm not sure who I really am. I'm deeply insecure. Hey, everyone, I've never really like made up my mind about anything in life or, you know, and we go, man, that's deep. And then somebody comes up, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, I believe in Jesus. Oh, my gosh, what a bigot. Wow. <laughs> This per- exclusive man is so exclusive. Like this is so judgmental and I feel really upset. Like we're laughing about this, but how many of you know I'm kind of right? We love questions. Like it's awesome when somebody's on a journey, even in Christianity, it's like, well, I'm just on this journey because it makes us seem exotic and different and cool. And not like the church lady who's just like, I believe in Jesus for 25 years. You know, we don't want to be like, that's not cool. It's not hip to actually uh, like know something and land on something. But let me just tell you how ludicrous this is. Ridiculous. Chesterton said this. He said, the object of having an open mind is the same as that of having an open mouth, that you may shut it again on something solid. (laughs) So many people are walking around in life with a wide open brain. Their brain is, their mind is so open that their brain falls out. And so it's like, well, I have all these questions and I have all these things. Well, have you ever considered the fact that like there is a God? And so it kind of makes sense, life, why you have this like moral intuition where when you do wrong things, you feel bad. No, that's just like my upbringing. No, it is your upbringing. It's the fact that you're made in the image of God. And so deeply embedded in the code of who you are as a human being, not biological accident or time plus line plus chance, but actually a transcendent supernatural combination of flesh and spirit, that there's actually something deeper to uh, you as a human that causes you to long for things that out- operate outside of the natural observable universe. And so there's a reason why you have these urges and inclinations and ideas. And they didn't just come from nowhere. They come from somewhere. But heaven forbid we use our mind to actually find an answer. 
because it's way more sexy to be on a journey, right? It's, it's just so much more cool and hip and exotic and philosophic to be on a journey. But here's the thing. Jesus says, hold on a second. When you get a glimpse of God, when you get a revelation of the kingdom of God and the door is open, you don't keep searching. You go in and you do everything you can to get it. You see, maybe today for you, you've been brought to this place and you're kind of coming into this church and you're like, this is a weird church. This is the worst church I've ever been at. Awesome, you're probably right. But God brought you here for a reason, probably to hear me say this right here. Maybe for you, God is bringing you right to the door and he's saying the door is open, it's time to take a step in. And you've got to leave behind and say, well, okay, I have to kind of stop being like the coolest guy and actually maybe get into some truth. I have to leave behind kind of being the girl on a journey and be the, the, the woman who's actually doing something with her life. Like I have to leave behind the questions and step into some answers. And maybe God is bringing you to this place, but Jesus says, listen, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. It's like this. It's like a merchant looking for something, looking for these pearls. And when he finds the great pearl, he sells everything. He goes all in. When you find the treasure, stop the, the search. You know why people like questions more than answers? Because truth demands a response. This morning, I had a little interaction with my daughter. She was I sent her to get my three-year-old, Penelope, who was running rampant around the church, well, the theater, as it, as it were. And uh, she was, Penny ran out the door and I was, I was on call watching them. And so, of course, what does a dad do? Delegation. I want my kids to learn. It's not laziness, it's delegation. So I sent my seven-year-old. I'm like, Evie, go, go get your sister, Penny. Well, then Jack comes in as a dutiful second-born little brother and tattles, which is what the job of the second-born is. And Jack says, Dad, Evie, Evie whispered to Penny and told her to run. <laughs> Which, you know, is awesome, right? I mean, hey, Penny, I'm going to get you. Run. Because Evie also wanted to run wild through the theater. And so if she had a reason, right, she's very smart. I mean, the, I actually have a lot of respect for her. I'm not going to tell her this later because... So she comes back in, I mean, but I, it's, I do have mad respect for her for this. Pretty smart. So she goes chasing after Penny, who is not running from her, really. Right. It's a manufactured pursuit. And <laughs> Jack comes in and says, Evie told Penny to run. And Evie comes back in. Evie, did you tell your sister to run? No. Yes. She, it was real quick, but I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Truth demands a response. I saw the flicker in her eye of, my dad doesn't know. And so, yeah, I did that, but I can get away with it if I don't tell the truth. The problem is, what did I have in my possession? Truth, and truth demands a response. And so when she saw me, that I saw her, and I know this isn't true, it, it switches. And she knows there's actually some accountability that needs to take place. Now, I want you to put yourself in her shoes. Not literally, they're, they're really gross, but figuratively... <laughs> No, they're not. Figuratively, as a human walking in existence on this planet, if there's no God, then it doesn't really matter what you do. If there's no answers and there's only questions, then everybody can always be on a journey and no one has to be wrong. But if there is a God and there is actual concrete, absolute truth, then what happens is, like the scriptures say, it's like a double-edged sword, it divides. And so Jesus... He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Actually, he's going to separate relationships because what happens is Jesus comes in and when you have a revelation of Christ, like you can't just ignore and go back and forth. 
C.S. Lewis talks about this in the, in the book, Mere Christianity. He says, if Jesus, who walks around saying the kinds of things that he says, if he is, he can't just be a great moral teacher. He can't just be a propagator of questions and new philosophies. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's the Lord. But you have to be, you have to come to a conclusion. You can't just ignore. Truth demands a response. Truth demands a response. And so when Jesus says, look, you found the pearl, you can't ignore the pearl. You can't say, well, I'm looking for pearls, but this one's too much money. Like, no, that is the pursuit. When you find the answer, it's time to stop the search. It's time to lean in and go wholeheartedly after God and his kingdom. Truth demands a response though. And that's why people are more comfortable with questions because it allows us to live in intellectual and moral ambiguity. The problem with intellectual and moral ambiguity is that innocents suffer because it's not true that you can do what you want with your body and nobody else has to pay. And it's not true that you can do what you want with, with your life and no one else has to pay. Because just like all of us sound really beautiful when we sing in harmony, it gets really ugly when some of us decide we're gonna sing a different tune. Welcome to America 2018. How many of you know this is true? And the problem is, see, the th when, we, when we say, well, oh, nothing's true, I'm just always gonna search and all this kind of stuff, we find ourselves in this morass and this, this problematic area entangled in our own uh, issues and problems and we're all interconnected and it causes such damage and such destruction because we're rejecting absolute truth, we're rejecting the truth of God's kingdom. And so my encouragement to you today is, hey, it might be okay to go ahead and stop searching and I'm not saying as a Christian that you shut your mind off. I'm not saying that you don't continue to learn more, that you don't continue to ask questions, but there needs to come a place at which you say, I'm either in with God or I'm out. I'm either with him or I'm out. I've either given him it all or, I've, or, I'm, or I'm walking my own way and doing my own thing. When you find the treasure, stop the search. Number two, we need to sell everything to get it. You know, when you've come to this conclusion of, man, there's a God and I'm gonna pursue him. I'm gonna lean into relationship with him. I wanna follow Jesus. Listen, you can't hedge your bet and leave one foot out, one foot in. You got to sell everything to get it. And Jesus is very clear about this in both of these stories that he tells. In verse 44, the man sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And then in verse 45, he sold everything he owned and bought the pearl. And what is the moral of the story? What is the quintessential nugget of truth here or the pearl uh, in the oyster? It, it's, that, it's that you have to give it all that to acquire this relationship with God, it's not that we buy a relationship with God, but it's that we can't be holding on to anything of this life and this world and also obtain and come into that relationship with God. Because you can't have anything remaining where you're continuing to trust in your own pursuit or your own, your own goodness, or your own wisdom. You have to come to that place where you say, God, I'm all in with you. I'm selling everything to get it. And I have no other gods and I have no other uh, options. Lord, you're not my backup plan. You're my first response. Sell everything to get it. There's something about expressing worth. You have to go all in. And it's just not the same if there's more than one option. I want you to think about when you married your beautiful wife or your handsome husband, unless they're not beautiful or handsome, but if, you, if they were, then imagine that. Like Bethany married me for my money. It didn't work out for her, but you know, it's, <laughs> what are you going to do? Huh? You know, so, I'm a good salesman, eh? So anyways, when you're standing there and you imagine that, that, that moment, maybe you're a single person and you're just like desperate to get married. You're looking at across, you know, and it's not the same if there's like two brides or three grooms 
this isn't Oklahoma. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that worked on so many levels, it's not even funny. Wow. <laughs> so many levels right there. Wow. Anyways, that's why you come to Joy Church. It's for the nuanced jokes. I mean, it's what it is. I didn't even realize how many levels there were when I said that, but I'll have to talk to Bethany about that later and repent for all the levels of that joke. But anyways, <laughs> it's not the same if there's like, well, I, I, uh, you know, do you take this woman to be your wife? Do you take this man to be your husband? And there's like options. And you're like, well, actually, I was kind of thinking the bridesmaid. Is this like a package or? How many of you know it's kind of like, well, no, that's wrong. Even in our culture, which has a really high divorce rate and marriage is kind of like, you know, not super highly honored and valued. People think you can just get married and unmarry and just kind of do what you want, which isn't what God thinks about marriage, incidentally. But even in our culture, people recognize that when you make a marriage commitment, that it's kind of a big deal when, you know, you go and like get another option on the side. How many of you would say, go so far and just go ahead and step out on a limb, even in a relativistic culture and be like, it's actually wrong. Anybody willing to say that? The six of us, that's awesome. But <laughs> why is it wrong? Well, we get at a deep kind of primal level that when you make a commitment of exclusivity, like it's about, you have to go all in. It's not the same when there's a bunch of options. And then furthermore, there's something about sacrifice that it has to cost you something. I remember when, when I bought Bethany uh, her, her engagement ring and I, I wanted it to be expensive. I love getting a good deal but I wanted the ring to actually cost me something because I wanted it to carry, even in my heart, oh, the weight of worth of what it meant. I remember there's a story in the Old Testament where King David is gonna make a sacrifice and this man says, oh, I wanna just give you the, the animals in the wood to sacrifice. And he says, I won't offer to the Lord, my God, something that costs me nothing. And yet how many times in, as Christians and followers of Jesus, do we give God leftovers the leftovers of our day, the leftovers of our time, the leftovers of our money, the leftovers of our heart, the leftovers, and there's no sacrifice. And, and honestly, sacrifice, it does something unique. It does something in your heart about what that thing is worth. And it's fascinating to me because even, even uh, economists and uh, business people have studied this out, that when someone pays more for something, they take it more seriously, they get better results. Like if you pay for an education and you get it like, for free, you don't take it the same as if you actually invest to pay for it. Why is that? It's because the human heart, the, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you ascribe worth and value to, if there's sacrifice and investment, it calls you into it. it. You feel connected. There's an invisible string that pulls you in. And so when it comes to showing worth and value, there is something about the cost, something about sacrifice. And yet we live as followers of Jesus in a sacrifice-less or sacrifice uh, diminished life. And we wonder why, we wonder why we don't have much passion because we have no skin in the game. Now, I'm not just talking about finances. It is about finances, but it's about all kinds of things. It's about every aspect of our life that we have to sell everything to get it. Go all in with God. Like for me in that keyboard, I mean, it was everything I had I mean, literally my bedroom, the center focal point now became this keyboard. And, that, and, and guess what? Guess what actually developed in my life? The ability to play because I put skin in the game, right? I invested and shown worth. And so I actually dedicated myself and practiced to where I could actually string a few notes and chords and everything together. And 
what happens is when you make an investment and you sacrifice, it brings you forward in that. Okay, I'm gonna shut up about that. Sell everything to get it. Last one, number three. We're also called to embrace a life of worship. That is to say, buy the pearl, buy the field, go and get it. Worship is an invitation to get the most valuable thing in existence, which is God himself. Listen to what Sam Storm says about this. He said, if God is to love me optimally, he must bestow or impart the best gift he has, the greatest prize, the most precious treasure, the most exalted and worthy thing within his power to give. That gift, of course, is himself. Nothing in the universe is as beautiful, captivating, satisfying as God. So if God loves me, he will give himself to me and then work in my soul to awaken me to his beauty and all sufficiency. In other words, he will strive by all manner and means to intensify and expand and enlarge my joy in him. You see, the beautiful thing about this pearl of great price, this pursuit of God, to see that God is worthy, is that ultimately what you are receiving in this transaction of giving everything is a relationship with God who is quintessential, who is a, the most valuable thing in life. There's nothing greater than a relationship with God. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, he that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. And when you capture that and you get your heart tuned into that truth, then it changes everything because the man or the woman who only loves God and pursues him and only desires God has no hold. This world has no hold on you. They can take your health. They can take your freedom. They can take your insurance. They can take your 401k. They can take your marriage. They can take your kids. They can take anything. But if, if God is the, the pursuit of your life, they have no hold upon your heart or your soul. That's what freedom is all about. Real freedom is not the ability to shoot an AK-47 when you want. Sorry. Sorry, I know for some of us that is, you know, the real freedom is not the ability to take away the crazy people's AK-47s. It's not. So whatever side of the political spectrum, we're always like, America's supposed to be free. Real freedom is not political. Real freedom is not about guns. Real freedom is not about healthcare. It's not about borders. Real freedom is about what has a hold on your heart. Whether you have a big gun or not. Come on. Real freedom is about do you understand are you connected with God and his kingdom? Is your heart free? And so if you want to embrace a life of worship, here's three things I want to encourage you to do. Number one, chase him daily. Chase him daily. Sounded like Carson daily, no? Chase him daily. Pursue God every day. It's not the same in marriage to be like, well, it's Saturday morning, time to tell Bethany I love her. Morning, babe, I love you. Okay, I'm good for the week, seven days, and I'll say it again. Like that's not really that great. And yet with God, we kind of go, well, it's Sunday morning, time to do my God thing. Time to scratch the old moral compass itch, you know, whatever. Got to like check the religious box or whatever that may, might look like. No, a relationship with God is not something that is meant to be station to station, Sunday to stun Sunday. It's meant to be all consuming daily, every day to wake up. Why would you not, why would you not want to wake up in the morning and go and connect with God in prayer and in the word? Why would you not want to have an appointment with Daniel or, or uh, Jonah or Jesus or Moses or in the word and see what they did and what they faced in life and write things down and have God speak to you and, and, and change your heart? Why would you, want, why would you not want to? I want to encourage you, if you want to live a life of worship and go all in with God, you've got to chase him daily. Chase him daily. Wake up in the morning and get ready to go every day to pursue God. Not because he's hiding or running away, but because there's something about getting up ready to go to pursue him. Number two, we want to chase him passionately. 
Listen, there should be no such thing. To me, it's an, a, a huge oxymoron to have a, uh, a Christian who is not passionate. How could you see Jesus and not be passionate? When I wake up in the morning, there's days when I'm down. There's days when I'm up emotionally. There's days when things are good, when things are bad. But there's never a day that I don't, I'm not passionate about my relationship with God. And there's not a day when I'm like, oh, you know, Jesus. No, because Jesus did everything for me. He went all in and I'm passionate. And listen, there's something about passion that gets other people to realize that something is actually really good. When we, when, you know, yesterday when the Oregon Ducks got the number one recruit in the whole country, there was like passion. I could see people in their cars like, no, but it was the most dangerous time to be on the road because everyone was breaking that cell phone rule. Everybody was like, we won and we got him, we got him. Woo! Cops are like, yeah, it's fine. You break the rule. It's okay. <laughs> Woo! You know, excited. And that's just football. What about, what about the passion that, that we are redeemed and reconciled with God and we have hope and purpose in life? Come on. We want to chase him passionately. Listen, I don't want Joy Church. We might not be, well, we aren't, but we might never be the best church in town. We might never be, you know, the best worship or the best preaching. That's for sure. But, we, but you know what? But what we can be is the most passionate. What we can be is the most per, the in pursuit of, of God and what he wants for us and what he wants for our church, what he wants for the city. And then number three, I want to encourage you to chase him wholeheartedly. That is to say, no other gods to knock down every rival, knock down everything that pulls your heart and attention and affection and pursuit of God. Anything that pulls you away from him, get rid of it and be aggressive. The Bible says to flee, uh, flee youthful lusts. My, my intern director said, flee lustful youths. It works the same both ways. <laughs> but we're called to run away from anything that would get our heart, take it away from God. You say, well, is it a sin to do this or a sin to do that or a sin to do this or a sin to do that? That's the wrong question. The question that we should always ask is, does this bring me closer to that pearl of great price? Or does it pull me away into other pursuits that are worthless? Does this thing draw me into a deeper relationship with Christ? Does this thing that I want to pursue, does it lead me to be a kinder, gentler, more filled with the Holy Spirit, more passionate person, connecting with who God really made me to be? Or is it, is it, is it the call of my, my carnality and my flesh and my animal nature pulling me back to something that I'm not called to be? Come on, is this something that's bringing me closer to him? Or I, do I have a divided heart? The psalmist said, Lord, unite my heart to fear, to fear your name. We live such disintegrated lives with so many pursuits, so many gods, so many things that we give our heart, attention, affection, and and value towards. And it's so freeing to say, no, God is the thing that I chase. He's what I pursue. And I'm wholehearted to pursue him. Revelation 4 says, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And they exist because you created what you pleased. You can get everything else in this world, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but lose his soul? Because you can get the things of this world God's going to take care of you. God's going to provide for you. We heard that last week. God's going to take care of us. He's going to meet our needs. But if you chase God and you pursue him, you're going to get it all. If you pursue something other than God, you don't get anything. You miss out. He is the creator of all things. He's worthy. He's worthy of our worship, worthy of our pursuit.